Yeah, so for the last couple of weeks, I've been receiving quite a few uh, private questions and uh, everything from coffee invitations to emails to, you know, people just pitching up and having a, a friendly chat. And it's mostly centering around uh, the twin issues of mental health and neurodivergence. And I can understand why. Uh, a lot of people have been following me for quite some time and they know me quite well. And whereas on certain uh, platforms or to certain people, you know, I've been speaking about some of these topics for quite a long time. To many people also, it's quite new. And it's not necessarily that it's just new because it's me going through it or because it's me talking about it. But what I'm realizing and what my wife and I have been uh, speculating about for quite a long time is that there are widespread questions under the surface when it comes to these things. And there's a strong likelihood that a lot of people are struggling with some of these elements, although there's not a lot of talk currently happening about it, and especially so within the church or within the, the Christian community. And I thought today what I'm going to do is I'm just going to share some of my uh, personal struggles uh, when it comes to, to these issues. Not from a point of view, and this is something that I, that's really important for me that others understand. It's not, not from a point of view of me needing uh, sympathy or somebody to coddle me or anything like that. Uh, for most of us that have, that have been struggling with these types of, of issues for quite a long time, there's uh, immense value for us in those people closest to us in understanding just how our brains work, because that's essentially what it comes down to. It comes down to how our brains function. And how that functioning might be different from yours. And in understanding that, maybe just creating space for the difference and uh, some empathy and understanding. But, but it's not about sympathy as, uh, at all. And, and I've noticed that in the last couple of weeks as well as I would post something and say, I'm experiencing this or going through this at this stage. And I'm explaining it in a very objective manner. But some of the feedback is very sympathetic feedback. And it's a shame feedback. And, and honestly, guys, that's for a lot of us really not, not where we're at. And, and if you've got somebody that's dealing with, uh, with, with some of these uh, types of, of issues, uh, you, you'll probably find exactly the same with them, especially if it's been going on for quite a long time, is that they're not looking for coddling. They're probably just looking for understanding because in the understanding, uh, there might be some space that's created uh, for, for the differences, because essentially that's what it boils down to. In, in, it boils down to a difference in our, our, our brains function. And, and even more so in Christianity. Why? Because unfortunately, even though I love the church and I love my brothers and sisters of faith, in Christianity we've got this very strange thing about looking for shortcuts for every, for every problem there is, you know. And we sort of want to lean all of that on faith and this idea of we need to have faith. And it's by faith and through faith that, that everything will, will happen. And, and it's not that um, I'm discounting the role of faith uh, in our lives. I'm a man of faith and I live a life of faith as well. But the reality is that God has created us as an integrated mind, body, spirit being. And when it comes to mental health or mental uh, illness or uh, neurodivergence, these are issues that... Uh, that pertain to the functioning of our brain and our mind. So it pertains to the, the faculties of our intellect and the faculties of our emotions and the faculties of our will. So our soul, if we have to speak biblically. 
And it's not necessarily that these are issues of the spirit or spiritual issues. And it's something that I'm not sure why such a large part of Christianity is confused about it because scripture is quite clear that we are created body, mind and uh, spirit. So even in the Old Testament, we see quite a lot of reference to this idea of soul. And even if, if you have to go into a lot of detail, you, you would realize that scripture in the Old Testament speaks in the following way. It says, and my soul has decided, or it would say, and I thought in my soul or my soul thinks, or it would say, and my soul felt the following. And so even in the Old Testament, when it describes the soul, it usually describes the soul within the faculties of will, intellect and emotion. And that then is further developed in the, in the New Testament. So it's very clear from Scripture that we are not only spiritual beings, although we are spiritual beings, we are integrated beings, spirit, soul and body. And the, there's a big disconnect when it comes to understanding wellness in the Christian community is that we want to take a shortcut and we want to say everything is spirit and we can solve everything with spirit. And I'm just going to pray enough and through praying enough that is going to solve all of my problems. Now, if that was the reality, we would not have the large uh, volumes of people worldwide struggling with mental health issues or with neurodivergence. So we just need to start there and say, we have to understand that uh, when it comes to mental health and it comes to, uh, to, to neurodivergence, that it is issues of the brain, which then manifests within emotions and our minds, meaning our thoughts and, and how we think. And it's a very important distinction to start with because the solution lies there as well, or the management lies there as well. You cannot tell somebody that's struggling with mental health just to have faith. Yes, they should have faith, but it's not enough just to have faith. There needs to be attended to whatever is uh, happening or wrong or wired wrongly or differently within the brain, the mind and the emotions. So that attention is, is needed. And very frequently, and, and this is something I got in the last couple of weeks, uh, it'll be something along the line of, oh, but you, it, it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with you. You don't seem to be unwell or, uh, unwell or, or unhealthy. It, it doesn't look like that. So when we interact with you, we don't really see that. So let's just unpack that for a couple of minutes. One, one of the issues that uh, happens when it comes to mental health, and, and this is something that me, not arrogantly, but being quite a transparent and confident person, even myself, I struggle with, and that is that there definitely is uh, stigmatization when it comes to mental uh, health or illness and uh, neurodivergence um, as well. So sometimes when I feel like I would like to speak about the issues, I do sense uh, sort of the stigmatized like, mm, I don't know if I can really do this. Is it safe to do this? You know, what will other people think? How will they respond to it? Because there is a stigmatization uh, related to it. So very frequently what happens is we will manage it ourselves and uh, what you'll notice of people that, that do struggle with, uh, not always the case, but what you'll frequently notice of people that do struggle with mental illness or neurodivergence is that they do sometimes tend to sort of uh, fade into the background and reappear again, fade into the background and to reappear again. And one of the reasons for this uh, is, is that sometimes the experience tends to be episodic and those episodes can be a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, or some people a couple of years. 
And in that time, that is when we are trying to deal with this episode that is now flaring up, uh, whatever the trigger might have, have been. And so very frequently when you do see us or when you do spend time with us, it's because we are feeling uh, in a better space and because we have more capacity to be able to do so. And then our interactions also seem slightly more uh, normal or slightly more healthy. But, but that is what we are giving you because uh, of the fact that there seems to be quite a bit of uh, stigmatization as well. Which is unfortunate because I was explaining it to a dear friend this week. Um, if, if I had to break my leg and I pitch up in a social uh, environment, people will say, oh, okay, his leg is uh, broken, he's hobbling. Obviously, there are certain things that would be uh, more challenging to him, uh, maybe even impossible for him within uh, this period of time that his leg is healing up. But it's visible and it's evident. But if somebody has a mental breakdown, which can very literally be likened to a brain injury, it's not something that is uh, necessarily seen uh, from the outside. What is seen is behavior change. And it's very easy to, to mislabel that behavior change because sometimes the behavior change uh, creates friction for us. But we don't see the person when he arrives. We don't see the broken brain, if, if I can liken it to the, the broken leg. Um, it's not evident and it's not uh, apparent, okay? And because it's stigmatized and, and sometimes even vilified because unfortunately um, in a lot of the world today and, and even Christianity, you know, I'm allowed to speak about my mental illness, but it should be from the point of view that I'm recovering or I have recovered. Okay, it's, there's not enough space or grace always for us just to say, listen, man, I'm struggling and I'm messed up and I'm broken because people don't understand how to deal with it, you know, so... Um, it's not evident that something is breaking or has broken. And then also it's not, um, it's not as comfortable for us to sort of just walk in there and say, listen, man, my brain broke or something is breaking inside my, my, um, my brain. And, and you might pick it up through, through interactions, um, but it's not evident and it's not something that we are always comfortable saying because there is a stigma attached to it. And, and, and that's really unfortunate because if you imagine me trying to function correctly with my broken leg, you know, and you imagine this picture of me hobbling around with my broken leg, that's literally what it feels like sometimes when you're having some sort of flare up or breakdown or episode is it feels like you're hobbling around. It feels like your brain is hobbling around and you are struggling to function like you usually function. It's literally what it feels like. And, and so, you know, it would be great to be able to say, listen, man, I'm struggling at this stage. This is what's happening. And for whoever's around you just to say, hey, no problem. I've got you. What do you need or how can I help? And, and that's that, you know. Not to be fawning or overly sympathetic or pitying or anything like that, but maybe just to understand, you know, that um, this person that's struggling with this episode or going through this thing, uh, something's damaged, something's injured, and they might just need uh, some assistance because they are struggling to, you know, to function uh, normally. That would be great, but unfortunately, that's not the case. Né? None of us pitch up at a bra and say, yes, man, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm really feeling messed up again. <laughs> today especially not men né? the woman might do that the woman might go and say oh I'm feeling a bit sad today or I'm struggling a bit or this or that but the guys don't do that and I mean for all of our contemporaries speak about you know uh, toxic masculinity and uh, men being able to have emotions and feelings and whatnot 
the reality is still that the world, even though they are hesitant to accept strong men, they still w want us to be strong. Okay, that's the reality. Né? Um, I know very few women or people that have got space for weak men in their lives, you know. Um, and that's just a social reality as well. There are expectations that men place on, on ourselves and that the society places on us that expects us to be and behave in a certain manner. And that certain manner definitely includes that we are supposed to be stable and strong uh, most of the times, you know. So uh, we don't pitch up at the bra and say, hey man, you know, I'm really struggling. And, and again, sometimes when we do, people don't really know what to do with that. I went through an episode during the last couple of weeks, and it's not the first time that I've been through this, where I was, uh, so by the way, in terms of neurodivergence, I've got OCD, not, oh, I must stack my desk nicely OCD, but proper obsessive compulsive uh, disorder. And, and so my brain and neurons would fire without me asking them. And it's difficult for me to uh, understand what is real and what is the OCD. And so the initial interpretation is this thing is real and then it just creates this whole cascade of, of effects. And I'll get into the effects in a moment. But in terms of obsessions, I was going through this thing where I was obsessing about, I'm going to die soon, okay? And it's literally like that, I'm going to die soon. I'll be doing something and then I'll tell myself I'm going to die soon. What's the use? You're going to die soon. And obsessing about that now for a couple of weeks. And by the grace of God, I understand what it is and I'm able to better manage it. And it's only certain things that bring forth that specific obsession within my life. So it's not that I struggle with it always, just occasionally. But this was the thing. I was just going through this thing. I'm going to die the whole time. And um, I told a buddy of mine uh, about it. And I could see he was um, not sure exactly what, what to do with the information. And he just started a new career path. And they were going on a long road trip. And I, and I made this comment. And I said, yes, just, just imagine if you die now. You just started a new life uh, path. And, and yeah, you get into an accident on your, um, on your journey and you die. And uh, he just looked at me with these blank eyes. He was like, don't say stuff like that, dude. But, but that's where my head is, you know. It's sort of obsessed with this idea of, of, of dying sooner. But now if you say that, you know, there's this very real and odd chance that you're going to upset people or frustrate them or confuse them. And they don't really know what to do with that, you know. So what does that mean for me as the person struggling with this? Um, do I, you know just keep quiet about it? Do I just hide myself from society again? Because that's what, you know, the safe thing for us to do. Um, what do I say? Because that's what I'm thinking at that stage, you know. So do I just push that aside and think up fake things to say? And, uh, you know, the the world is always trying to be supportive and it's like, yeah, but, you know, if you ever want to speak about anything, come and speak uh, to me about it. But, um, you know, they don't really know what to do when you go and sit down and unpack that you've got an obsession of dying soon. And you can explain to them exactly in, in, in medical detail why you're going to die soon. Um, they don't know what to do with that, you know. So it's tremendously difficult for us to, to, to try and explain it because they either we, they think we're being stupid or they think we're being unnecessary or they think we're complicating things. But for us that's sitting on the other side of the spectrum, that's literally the, the place where our brains are at now and what our mind is, is, is thinking. And it doesn't really go away, you know. It's, um, uh, 
it's it it also comes of loaded with certain emotions so so what do i mean by that because let's say it was just thoughts you know, it was random thoughts you know if it was random thoughts you could just sort of let them flitter away and and maybe not give too much uh, attention to them but i was explaining to to a friend because uh, he was he was asking a question along that along those lines and i was saying um, he's got a grandson and i was saying imagine i call you up now and he dearly loves his grandson they are they are very very close said, so imagine I call you up now and I ask you, listen, are you sitting? And he says, yes. And I say, listen, I've got bad news. Your grandson just died. Okay. How would you feel? And, you know, his immediate reaction, which is a very normal human reaction, is this, you know, he said he would feel, you know, just this attack of anxiety, of panic and this emotion. And I said, okay, so that's how I feel every time I tell myself I'm going to die soon. I literally feel that. So it's not even that I can uh, ignore the thought because the thought, when it hits, it comes with that package of emotion. And every single time I feel that anxiety of I'm going to die now. Then what you try and do, because and this is the OCD, a part of the OCD, if you're managing it bad, you try and push the thing away because you don't want to feel that. Okay? Because if you feel that, it means it's real and it's going to happen and you are acknowledging and embracing it. And, and then you start this cascade of trying to push it away because you don't want to feel it, but it still keeps on coming, okay? And if you understand the neuroscience prob properly, the more you push the thing away, the, you actually solidify the connections between the neurons. So you, you have to engage with it. It means you have to let it come and you have to feel it and you have to work with that thing you're feeling. But now that happens over and over and over and it's the cyclical um, e event that just keeps on, on repeating itself. And, how I'm experiencing this is not how everybody would experience their own OCD or their own uh, obsessions and, and compulsions if they do get them alongside the obsessions. But that is a big part of, of my uh, story and, and how I feel when I go through these things and how I feel for extended periods of time. It used to be worse and, and yes, um, where I'm so thankful that there's so much good research and, and development work happening in, in academia about it at this stage, but if it's happening in, in academia, it means it's 20 years away from, from getting to, to mainstream. But I remember, uh, I first uh, realized and, and understood and, and went through the process of diagnosing the OCD at, at 27, but before 27 years of age, um, I would get these obsessions and also um, there were other obsessions that I, that I would get what's called intrusive thoughts, but specifically violently intrusive thoughts where uh, I'm seeing myself doing something to somebody and it comes along with this emotion again and it would just repeat itself over and over. It was very graphic uh, sort of uh, pictures that would, would arise in my, in my mind. And I literally felt like I was going insane. I thought there's something wrong with me. And and I'm crazy. And this was after I came to Christ at 24, 25. Okay? So, so it confused me because I was saved and I came to Christ, but I was still struggling tremendously with these uh, obsessions and uh, these very graphic uh, intrusive thoughts that, that I was experiencing. But the moment that I went through the process of realizing and diagnosing and understanding what I'm going through, it was tremendously freeing. And, and I'm so happy that other people can also learn about it and understand that they're not going crazy because that's how I felt. 
But unfortunately, there's still not enough work being done because that's what people go through. And I've sat and counseled people that are strongly suspected uh, also at, at OCD. And we started, where we started talking through the symptoms and uh, me explaining to them just how it works and what's happening in their brains and, and, and what they can expect or what they are probably experiencing. And when you, where you sort of start to see the relief and the breakthrough on this person's face, when they, when they actually realize something in their brains got damaged along the way and it's treatable, we can work at it and we can manage it and they can go for diagnosis and they can go through therapy to, to help it get better. But you see the relief. And, and even though I'm happy that there's so much good work that's being done, conversely, sometimes I'm, I'm struck by the reality that a lot of people go through similar type things or they... They aren't mentally well, but they don't know it, okay? So they're not psychologically well, but they don't know it. And, and that's just got a very sort of a detrimental effect uh, on your psyche as well, because then you misinterpret it and, and through the misinterpretation, it just sort of adds to the, the weight and the load that you are carrying. On my side again, you know, because I know what it is, uh, it, it doesn't stop the, the intrusive thoughts completely, but I can pick them up. And because I pick them up, I can very quickly and much uh, healthier deal with those thoughts and, and manage that uh, before it flares up and becomes a problem. It's also one of the reasons why I tend to look after myself really well. I've got a very high premium on my sleep hygiene and making sure I sleep well and I sleep enough. Um, I keep myself physically fit and active. Um, I try and build in good habits, um, healthy habits in terms of uh, all facets of my life. Because in doing so, what I'm doing is I'm keeping myself on a much healthier place. Because it's when I get broken down too much that the, the mental health illness sort of flares up again. Or the neurodivergence uh, becomes uh, a bigger problem, for me at least. And, and so I, I do tend to spend a lot of time and focus making sure that I keep myself at a healthy place, experience fulfillment, um, I experience peace, I experience joy, try and have good interactions with people around me as far as it's possible, try and not put myself in too much toxic uh, environments, um, not removing myself from the world, like Christ said, you know, but uh, just making sure that I balance myself in the world so that when I need to deal with, uh, with things that are maybe not as pleasant, that I'm in a much better headspace. So, Knowing for me that there is something different in how my brain is wired uh, was tremendously freeing and it was a big breakthrough. But even that doesn't really take it away. It just helps you to understand it better and through the understanding and if you do have the correct tools, you are now able to manage it better. And I'm not sure, it's, it's an interesting thing because it's debatable in the literature whether you can completely heal from things like this and 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 I'm not I'm not certain I truly believe the jury is out on it a lot of it has to do with brain wiring and your brain is neuroplastic so you are able to rewire and better wire your your brain over time if you know how to do that and you do do it uh, diligently and um, alongside that because I'm a Christian and I've seen Jesus free me from certain things in my life I do believe in the omnipotence of, of God and his ability to free us up. I don't always know why 
we are not healed and freed from everything immediately. That's obviously a question that people have been struggling over for thousands of years. But I do hold out hope that Christ can uh, free me up from this and heal me completely. But the reality is, if I need to be practical about it, what I'm seeing is it does feel like some of it will be with me my whole life. And so I need to be careful and manage myself well and keep myself uh, quite healthy because I don't know if it's going to go away. Um, I don't want to get into it too much about where these things come from or what the onset of it is. Um, that's very personal to, to each individual and usually you can trace it back to some point of origin. But uh, the reality is that it, it, it is a struggle. It goes on quite a bit. And if you have somebody in your life that does struggle with mental illness or that is neurodivergent, even if you are a Christian, guys, please don't just try and don't, don't treat our faith like a crutch. That's not what it's about, okay? God is a rational being. We are made in His image, so we are also rational beings. Our rational aspect, a component of our lives, relates to our minds and our brains, and we are soul as well. And we need to respect that fact, because I'm telling you now, if you don't respect the fact that you have a body, and you are a steward of your body, and you need to treat your body well, you will end up with sickness, physical sickness, as you go older. If you don't respect the fact that you have a soul, you have a brain, you have emotions and a mental side, if you don't respect it and treat it well, if you're not a good steward of that side of your, of your being, it will degrade or you will not be able to pull yourself or lift yourself out of the mud. We have to respect that. Just like the fact that we have to respect the fact that we are spirits and we need to seek out God for that initial experience of Him quickening our spirits to life. And then of him just sort of coming to fill us up and, uh, and living in and through us. So all of those are important. And, and if you have people in your life that are struggling with these things, you have to respect that in their lives. And very frequently, especially if it's somebody that's been struggling with it for a long time, you can just ask them. Just say, listen, man, how, you know, how, should, I, how should I treat you? Or can I, can I be of assistance? Or how can I support you? And frequently they'll be able to tell you. And, and then... It comes back to this issue of loving this person enough that you don't uh, minimalize what they're going through, that you don't uh, want to take shortcuts um, that they're going, you know, for them when it comes to healing up. Because let me tell you something: it's not lack of feeling like this. Okay, it's not it's not nice feeling like this. Eh? It's not nice having a broken leg and being in pain the whole day. Just like that, it's not nice having something broken here and being in pain the whole day. You know, and so sometimes there's a bit of empathy involved where we just look at the person in front of us and we realize they're struggling and we just try and be alongside them, okay? And they need to work through it. And I promise you they want to work through it. They don't, want to, they don't really want to stay like that. And sometimes people need to sort of have a bit of a awakening where they realize, you know, maybe there's some work necessary. But just respect the fact that they're going through things and just ask them. I make it quite simple. I'm very clear uh, because I, I tend to take responsibility for my own health. I'm very clear when it comes to boundaries. I'll very easily tell somebody, don't do that again. If you're going to do that again, I'm not going to spend time with you. And then I leave the decision uh, up to them. So, and that comes from a place of self-love because I think sometimes as Christians, we don't understand self-love. We think we need to be like worms or we need to be... You know, everybody's doormat, which is nonsense. You know, I can only love somebody else to the extent that I love myself. 
And so I'm quite strict on boundaries when it comes to loving myself, protecting myself. And for that reason, I also set my boundaries quite clearly. But also because of that reason, I respect the boundaries of others very strongly as well when they set them clearly. But you can ask, okay? Maybe you find somebody like me that'll just tell you what to do. But if you don't, you can always ask and, and just sort of try and be uh, supportive. Don't try and fix them. Don't try and heal them. You can't. It's not up to you. At best, they can understand what's wrong with them and they can journey with Christ and allow Christ to do the work that's necessary. But you can't do that. And don't because you want them to be fixed. Because this, this is something that happens very frequently. It's very selfish, actually, and very self-centered. Because you are uncomfortable with what you are seeing or experiencing in this other person, you want them to be fixed for your own good, not for their good. And uh, this is something I unfortunately see very frequently in family dynamics, where it's not really that you want the other person to be fixed for they behalf. Because if that was the truth, you would align yourself alongside them and you would support them how they needed it. You know, but if you find yourself wanting to fix them the whole time, it's probably more about you than it is about that person because that's not what they need. And uh, what they need is people that accept them, people that don't make them feel like a freak or make them feel like some sort of a failure or misfit because we struggle with that frequently. And people that just be okay and just give them space and just be alongside them and be able to walk with them and give them the grace to sometimes move into the background, other times be more on the forefront and to try and understand what is, uh, what is happening um, in their lives. I hope uh, this is valuable, guys. Uh, for some of you, it might be, um, you know, sort of very common knowledge. But I am seeing that uh, the more that I'm speaking about these things, uh, the more people are coming to the front saying, thank you for your honesty, or I'm realizing this thing, or I'm struggling with this or that. Even in the novels I've started writing, for those of you that don't know it, but I recently became a novelist, that people all over the world contact me and saying, yes, you know, I'm, I struggle with these things. Thank you for highlighting them. And so I'm just seeing it. Um, uh, people are struggling. People are hurt. Uh, the, the world is a very toxic place at this stage. And most people are struggling to, to, to cope with it and, and to manage properly. And for us as believers and Christians especially, you know, Christ says his yoke is light, you know, and he says, come to me, all of you that are broken hearted. And when we, when we interact with people, especially people that are struggling, guys, the yoke that we offer to them should be light. And the mindset that we should have is if you're broken hearted, come and, and I will be with you and I will love you and I will care for you throughout this. Not I'm going to fix you, not I want you to take a shortcut, not stop it and wreck yourself, wreck. you know, what's that in English? It's, uh, you know, stop your nonsense and, and, and shape up, you know, nothing like that. But just really deep Christian agape love where we provide space for people to be safe and to work these things out uh, alongside Christ because it is a struggle and it, and it isn't nice to be in that space. And if you haven't experienced that, my prayer sincerely is that you never will. But my prayer is as well that you sit back and just try and create empathy. And try and think to yourself, if you had a broken leg and you try to function of that, what would the reality be? It would be pain, it would be uncomfortable, it would be difficult to function. And try to realize that sometimes in our brains something is not uh, working like. And there might be people that take offense at me saying your brain is broken. This is how I think about it. You can get your own way of thinking about it. If you're offended by that, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's 
not really my problem. But I do, um, I do sincerely hope that you will just uh, sit back and try and uh, understand what I'm, what I'm trying to say. The good news is, hopefully, just like a broken leg, just like an arm that's broken, if you give it space, if you give it time, if you do the right things, some magic can happen and some healing can happen, you know. And so when saying something's broken, I'm not insinuating that it will remain like that forever. I'm just using it as a way to confer this idea that sometimes something's happening in here that people can't always see. I bless you guys. Uh, may you have a really wonderful week and I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Hello everyone, don't forget to subscribe to the Nomad Church channel and to make sure that you get the notifications on the new videos. But I also want to ask you that if this video made you think, if the topic was relevant, maybe you know somebody that might find some use in the topic, kindly share it for me. Always remember that shares from any sort of channel on social media are worth gold. And then if you want to share a comment on the bottom, let me know your thoughts on the topic. It'd be great to hear from you guys. Thanks again. Till next time.